Hello, this is Ali welcoming you to the 2223rd edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline 20th of February 2020. The readers this week are John and Ali, with Ian on the controls. The editor was Ali, and the production and distribution team is Lindsay and James. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prie, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Breuer, and performed by Jean-Jacques Perret, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and from the Palmer's Green Community Magazine, and are their cap- copyright. The lead story this week is TV presenter Caroline Flack found dead at home. Before the news, the sunrise and sunset times for the week beginning Monday the 24th of February are sunrise 6.57 and sunset 17.30. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 020-8805-6578. She is your listener's representative who will be pleased to help you. Now, John will read the first item of local news. TV presenter Caroline Flack has died weeks before she was due to appear in court accused of assaulting her boyfriend. News that the Love Island host, who was born in Enfield, had died, surfaced on Saturday, February 15th. The Sun reported that the 40-year-old was found dead in her North London flat. A family spokesperson told the publication, We can confirm that our Caroline passed away today on the 15th of February. We would ask that the press respect the privacy of the family at this difficult time. Formerly the presenter of ITV2's Love Island, she stood down from the show after being charged with assaulting her boyfriend, Lewis Burton, in December 2019. She denied the charge and was due to stand trial in March. She is the third person connected to the dating show to have died after contestants Mike Thalassitis and Sophie Graydon took their own lives. Celebrity tributes to the TV presenter included Chris Hughes and Amber Davis, both from Series 4 of Love Island. Words can't sum this up, Chris wrote. So sad. Another amazing person taken from this cruel world. Amber added, My heart is actually broken. Mylene Class posted, Completely shocked by the news about Caroline. I hope you've found your peace. Rest in peace. Ms Flack starred in and won the 12th series of Strictly Come Dancing in 2014. Ex-Strictly dancer James Jordan wrote, Just seen on Twitter the devastating news that Caroline Flack has been found dead in her home. I'm so sad right now and I actually can't believe it. Can't imagine what her family are going through right now. This morning presenter Eamon Holmes tweeted, Caroline Flack, shocked beyond belief, May she have found peace. Has to be repercussions for Love Island now, surely. In the wake of her death, a petition created by Joshua Anthony has gained more than 500,000 signatures and calls for changes in the way the media reports on public figures. School receives abuse over Rainbow Crossing. 
a school that has received over 200 abusive messages about a rainbow-coloured road crossing, has vowed to continue its work supporting equality. The crossing was installed outside Woodside High School, Wood Green, last week to mark LGBT plus History Month after a campaign from its students. And while the move received dozens of supportive messages online, the school revealed in a tweet it had received over 200 abusive messages in four days. Woodside High head Jerry Robinson said, The hundreds of abusive messages regarding Woodside's work on equality will not deter us from continuing our work. In fact, it only encourages us further, for we do not want our students to go out into the world and face such hate. Never has there been a more important time to stand up to hate in all its forms, and education is a key part of that. The school said the abusive messages had been received online and they are not understood to have come from parents of students. Woodside has received support from Haringey Council, which funded and installed the crossing. Seema Chandwani, the council's cabinet member for neighbourhoods, said, There is absolutely no place for division in our borough. We're very proud of these young people for lobbying so strongly about an issue that really matters to us all. We stand in solidarity with them and the LGBTQ plus community here in Haringey and beyond against discrimination and prejudice of any kind. The school has a long history of campaigning on LGBT issues. In 2017, it was awarded the Stonewall School Champion Gold Award in recognition of the school's work to tackle homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying. The Rainbow Crossing, installed on February the 5th, is the first of its kind outside a school in the UK, Miss Robinson said. She added, This Rainbow Crossing stands for our commitment to championing equality, for our children's rights to be respected and able to thrive. Council tax set to rise. People living in banned D properties can expect their council tax bills to rise by nearly £64 this year after a new budget was approved by senior councillors. Enfield residents will see a 1.99% rise in core council tax and a 2% increase in an extra levy used solely to fund adult social care. On top of this, there will be a 3.61% increase in a council tax levy charged by the Greater London Authority. Added together, these changes will push up Band D council tax bills to £1,695.84, an increase of £63.85. The tax hikes are included in Enfield Council's budget for 2022, sorry, 2020 to 2021, which was signed off by senior councillors on Wednesday, February the 12th. The budget features savings of £9.2 million. Senior councillors also approved the medium-term financial plan, which sets out investment in several key areas over the coming financial year. There will be an extra £1.5 million to hire more social workers in children's services, £10.3 million to deal with growing demand for social care, funded partly by a government grant, and £500,000 to tackle youth violence. Calculated and callous murderer jailed for 30 years. Victim was left bleeding on the pavement. 
A man who stabbed a chef to death over a mobile phone and a bottle of beer has been jailed. Adam Tarrick, 25, of Pacific House, Vale Road, was jailed on February the 13th for a minimum of 30 years after an eight-day trial at the Old Bailey. The court heard that Tarek attacked Baris Kuchuk, 33, after he spotted him on Seven Sisters Road on June the 1st at around 2.30am. Baris, who lived in Finsbury Park and worked as a chef, was on a night out with his friends and was returning home when he stopped at an off-licence near Manor House Station to buy some beer. He bumped into a, a young Italian woman and they walked together along Seven Sisters Road using a translation app to communicate with each other. Tarek, who followed the pair on his bicycle, was scouting for people to rob at the time. Baris walked the woman to her home and they embraced shortly before she went inside. Seconds later, the woman heard screaming and saw Baris on the floor with Tarek standing over him. He fled the scene towards Seven Sisters Station, leaving Barris bleeding on the pavement. Barris was rushed to an East London hospital after police and emergency services attended. He suffered a horrific knife injury to his leg, where the blade had sliced through the knee joint from the back. Doctors worked tirelessly to save Barris's life and decided to amputate his left leg from the knee down. However, his condition deteriorated and he died on June the 3rd at 4pm. A post-mortem examination at Haringey Mortuary on June the 6th found the cause of death to be multiple organ failure, hypovolemic shock, and the wound to the left lower leg. Detectives from the Specialist Crime Command had begun an investigation and identified Tarek as a suspect. On June the 8th at around 7.20pm, Tarek was stopped leaving his home and was arrested on suspicion of murder and taken into custody, and was further arrested for a number of unrelated matters. He was later identified through CCTV and forensic evidence and charged with murder. Detective Chief Inspector Neil John, who led the investigation, said, The murder of Baris Kuchuk is among the most needless and upsetting cases I have investigated. Here we have an incident involving two men on completely different paths in life. Barris, who worked hard, had a loving family and friends, and was a completely innocent party. And at the other end, Adam Tarrick, who is a wicked individual, using such violence as he deems necessary to get what he wants. In this instance, it was just a phone and a bottle of beer. Tarrick has shown no remorse during the entirety of these proceedings. He is a calculated and callous man, who from the very start was prepared to attempt to obstruct and frustrate police by claiming he was homeless, despite police quickly identifying his address not far from the scene of this murder. In a statement, Barris's family said, On the 1st of June 2019, our dearly beloved son, Barris Kuchuk, was taken from us forever. The impact of Barris's death went beyond our family. Thousands of people streamed into the hospital and Kurdish community centre in Haringey to pay their respects. We do not want another family to go through the pain we have gone through. Enough is enough. It is now time to take decisive action to halt knife crime. Inquiry into death of man shot by police. And there's a quote, it is, a, it is long past time that the public learnt the shocking truth about how Germain died. 
A public inquiry is being launched into the death of Jermaine Baker, who was shot by a police marksman during an attempt to free a prisoner. The 28-year-old of Tottenham died from a single gunshot wound as the Metropolitan Police foiled a breakout attempt near Woodgreen Crown Court on December the 11th, 2015. Home Secretary Priti Patel announced the decision in a written ministerial statement to the House of Commons on Wednesday. She said the inquiry would be launched under the Inquiries Act 2005 to investigate the circumstances of the death and will be led by retired judge Clement Goldstone, QC. The statement said, Establishing an inquiry is important to ensure that all of the relevant evidence can be properly considered as part of an effective investigation into Mr Baker's death. It has been necessary to establish an inquiry so as to permit all relevant evidence to be heard. The Crown Prosecution Service did not bring charges against the marksman, known as W80, for legal reasons, saying there was insufficient evidence. Mr Baker's family released a statement through the charity inquest that read, We welcome the announcement of the public inquiry into Germain's death, and we look now to the inquiry to conduct a full and thorough investigation. We are, however, seriously concerned that it has taken more than four years to get to this point. It has been and remains a painful process for our family, and it is long past time that the public learnt the shocking truth about how Germain died. Mr Baker was among a group of men trying to free Izzet Erin as he was transported from Wormwood Scrubs Prison to be sentenced for a firearms offence. W80 claimed to be acting in self-defence, fearing Mr Baker was reaching for a gun. No firearm was found, but police did recover an imitation Utsi machine gun in the rear of the car. Deb Coles, Executive Director of Inquest, said... The long delay in announcing this inquiry has frustrated learning and accountability and has been dreadful for Germain's family. However, we hope this is a step towards robust scrutiny of those involved in Germain's death. Last year, the Independent Office for Police Conduct, OPC, announced it had directed the force to launch disciplinary proceedings into the officer over alleged use of excessive force. But the police watchdog's decision was quashed by a High Court ruling in August, which found it had applied the wrong legal tests to order the gross misconduct hearing, so this did not go ahead. The IOPC has appealed against the decision, and the case is due to be heard at the Crown sorry, at the Court of Appeal by December. The inquiry will have the same scope as the current inquest, which will be suspended after the establishment of the inquiry, the statement added. Thousands sign golf course petition. Concern over future use of Greenbelt site. Enfield Council will have to address concerns over the future of a Greenbelt golf course after a petition was signed by more than 3,400 people. The council announced last year it was looking to lease White Webb's golf course and some of the surrounding woodland to a commercial partner to combat a fall in revenues but campaigners fear the Greenbelt land could be developed into new homes and a new leaseholder could reduce public access to the park and woodland. They are calling on Enfield Council to guarantee full disclosure over its plans to privatise the 18-hole course and adjacent woodland. 
Councillors are obliged to discuss residents' concerns at a full council meeting next Wednesday, February the 26th, after an online petition gained 3,464 signatures, more than the 3,124 threshold. Sean Wilkinson, chairman of Friends of White Webs Park, said, Bradbury promised greater consultancy with stakeholder groups, but it hasn't happened. We want to know the list of bidders after the March the 2nd deadline and to be able to question whoever is chosen before, not after, any deal is wrapped. Mr Wilkinson will urge councillors next week to outline what will and will not be permitted when the area is handed to developers under a new 25-year lease. The council will comment further after the meeting. Mark Bradbury, the council's Director of Property and Economy, said at the meeting on January the 15th that the council would not allow any proposals that involve housing or any other development on the 241-acre site, which is part of the borough's green belt. Speaking after the January meeting, an Enfield Council spokesperson said, The current golf facility has been operating at a loss for several years, so we are looking at a range of options that may or may not include golf. We are committed to ensuring that the valued green space and ancient woodland are protected and that proposals deliver enhanced public access, greater biodiversity, improved visitor facilities, including refreshments and ongoing community engagement. None of the proposals involve clearing the site to create a landfill. Once a preferred bidder has been chosen in April, there will be a public engagement day and a consultation on its proposals before they are considered by the Council's planning committee. 58 men arrested in police raids. Police arrested 58 suspects and recovered more than £250,000 worth of stolen goods and weapons during a series targeted raids following a nine-month investigation. Officers in Enfield and Haringey held 58 men on suspicion of a range of offences including robbery, conspiracy to commit murder, handling stolen goods and supply of controlled drugs following a series of morning raids over eight days. They recovered more than £250,000 worth of stolen property including electronic devices believed to be from 300 robberies across North London, as well as seizing several large knives and machetes. Warrants to search the properties were obtained following a nine-month investigation targeting people believed to be involved in robberies, gangs and drug supply. The raids took place on February 5, 6, 12 and 13 at homes across Harringay and Enfield. Officers in the local area were supported by the Violent Crime Task Force, Territorial Support Group and Task Force. Detective Superintendent Luke Marks said the Met's top priority is tackling violence and we are committed to making Enfield and Haringey a hostile territory for those intent on committing violent offences, carrying weapons, peddling drugs and as a result intimidating and threatening the communities who live there. Serious organised crime and drug supply is responsible for a high proportion of violence in these boroughs and these warrants are part of our plan to bring the individuals responsible to justice. He added, I hope the success of this operation reassures the community that we are absolutely committed to making the streets in which they live safer. Author's new book. An author from Enfield has penned a new fantasy series for children. 
Georgina Simmons has just published the first book in the series, The Kingdom of Cush, which features biracial main, uh, biracial main character Ruby, who has to learn to love her curly hair. Although a magical fantasy series, the books seek to lift the lid on social and racial prejudices that still exist today. Next month, Georgina will take a tour of Enfield Primary Schools to read from her book and engage pupils in creative writing workshops. The Kingdom of Cush is available to buy now. One Stop Shop for Housing Repairs Repairs insourced to bid in bid to improve quality. Enfield Council has set out a plan to improve its housing repairs service as it brings the team back in-house. The council plans to launch what it calls a one-stop shop for housing-related issues to make it easier for residents to report problems with their homes. Based in Edmonton, the Housing Resolution Centre will diagnose the repairs that are needed, schedule work and get feedback from residents. Council report says it aims to ensure calls are answered quickly by knowledgeable staff who diagnose issues and can book a convenient appointment slot. It is hoped the new team will fix more problems properly the first time they crop up so residents do not have to repeatedly complain about the same issue. There will also be a head of service quality who will be responsible for improving residents' satisfaction. Housing repairs were handled by private companies under under contract to the council for a number of years but in June last year Enfield Council's top decision makers agreed to insource repairs in a bid to improve the service and make it more responsive to tenants and leaseholders needs. The move followed the launch of a housing MOT team to tackle, tackle particularly bad cases of disrepair. Under the insourced scheme Repairs will be carried out by three area-based teams assigned to the northeast, southeast and west of the borough. The plan was agreed by the borough's top decision makers at a cabinet meeting on Wednesday, February the 12th. Housing bosses say they expect the changes to take 12 months to fully bed in, although it is hoped the Housing Resolution Centre will be up and running by the end of February. Council leader, Councillor Nezel Kaliskan, Labour Jubilee, said... The repairs service over the last few years has not been delivering the standard we expect. Overwhelmingly, councillors' casework is around housing, which includes repairs. Over the past few months, officers have worked with councillors to really come up with a plan, not only to insource, but to make sure that when we do, we are prepared and there is an improvement to the service. Councillor Kaliskan explained the scheme would help to reduce the number of repair visits and waiting times for residents. Appeal after shots fired. Detectives are appealing for information and witnesses after shots were fired at a car. Met Police were called to reports of gunshots at Pele Court on Compton Crescent, Tottenham at 7.12pm on December 12, 2019, Officers, including firearms officers, attended. A police investigation has established that two suspects fired approximately 15 shots towards a car. A 24-year-old man who was sitting in the car sustained minor injuries from broken glass. The two suspects made off on foot. There have been no arrests and inquiries continue. 
Detective Constable Michael Clinch from Specialist Crime said, it goes without saying that the actions of these two suspects were reckless in the extreme. It is only good fortune that makes this an appeal to trace two callous individuals with access to a firearm and not a murder investigation. If you know who they may be, please contact police. You may well be saving a life. Anyone with information about the shooting is asked to call Trident officers on 101, quoting CAD 6545-12December. And I have a letter here um, entitled How to Stay Safe Online, and it's from Emma Motherwell, who is the local campaign's manager. With the use of internet devices rising year on year, knowing how to keep children and young people safe online is becoming an even greater challenge. While the online world provides them with the opportunity to play, learn, create and socialise, to children online, friends seem like real friends and online life seems like real life. There is no difference. This leaves them open to the risk of online abuse more than ever before. A new UK-wide study conducted by Chrysalis Research surveyed 4,730 parents of 8 to 13-year-olds and 4,048 of their children between October and December 2019. The questionnaire, conducted on behalf of O2 and the NSPCC, revealed that being cyberbullied is children's greatest fear when they go online. Children and young people are becoming increasingly aware of the risks they face when going online. However, there is still a reluctance from them to seek help. The NSPCC would encourage parents and carers to have conversations with their child about their online life, just as you would about their day at school or other aspects of their life. It can be daunting to know where to start, but O2 and the NSPCC also offer a range of free online resources like NetAware, a website which explains the social networks, apps or games that children are using most frequently. Discussing and agreeing the boundaries that are right for your family is a great way to ensure there's a shared understanding about ways to stay safe online. Our new online family agreement can help get you started. The partnership has developed a booklet offering parents the latest practical and simple tips on the risks children might face when using the internet and advice about what parents can do to keep their children safe. The booklet is now available in more than 450 O2 stores nationwide. Children and young people who are concerned about online bullying or any other issue can contact our Childline service online or by calling 0800 1111. The Childline website also provides a range of information and support around online concerns and may be a helpful resource to direct children you to sorry, direct children to you. Feel this would be helpful. I'm sorry, I'm just reading what it says. Keeping children safe online is everyone's responsibility. And at the NSPCC, we are also campaigning through our Wild West web campaign for an independent regulator to be introduced across the UK. We can all do our part to keep children safe online, but we also need to hold tech giants to account and implement tough consequences if they fail. Inadequate school to close. A Tottenham primary school that was deemed to be inadequate by education inspectors will be closed. 
Haringey's top decision makers have approved a plan to merge Stamford Hill Primary School in Barclay Road with nearby Tiverton Primary School. The decision means Stamford Hill will close in August and its current pupils will start studying at Tiverton in Pulford Road in September. Stamford Hill was rated inadequate by education watchdog Ofsted following an inspection in November 2018. Inspectors said... (coughs) Beg pardon... The poor quality of teaching, learning and assessment results in pupils making poor progress, including those with special educational needs and or disabilities. Council education chiefs proposed a merger with Tiverton rated good by Ofsted to prevent the government stepping in and ordering the school to join an academy chain, which can happen when schools are judged to be inadequate. Haringey Council did not receive any responses to a four-week consultation on the future of Stamford Hill that was held between November 27th and December 18th. According to a council report, the school has been hit by a falling pupil intake, which reduces the funding it receives from central government. The report adds that some posts could be made redundant following the merger, but all staff will be offered help to find alternative roles within the borough. Speaking at a meeting of Haringey's Cabinet on Tuesday, February the 11th, Cabinet Member for Children and Families, Councillor Zena Brabazon, Labour, Haringey, said, All the consultation has taken place. This is asking formal agreement of Cabinet to agree the amalgamation from September the 1st, 2020, which means Stamford Hill will close from August the 31st, 2020. The merger was then agreed by Cabinet Members. Woman claims police pushed her to sign a statement of rape. A woman who had consensual sex with a grime artist has claimed police tried to push her into saying he had raped her. Andy Anokye, 32, who performs as Solo 45, was arrested after a different woman made allegations against him in 2017. Police investigating the case contacted a number of women after viewing videos found on the Nokia's phones and laptop. He is on trial at Bristol Crown Court, where he faces 31 charges relating to four complainants. The charges, all of which he denies, include 22 counts of rape and five counts of false imprisonment. The grime artist, who grew up in the Broadwater Farm Estate in Tottenham, previously told jurors his sex with women was vigorous and rough and left them with injuries on occasion. A woman who cannot be named for legal reasons gave evidence as part of Anokia's defence on Tuesday. She had consensual sex with Anokia, which was filmed on one occasion, and described them as friends with benefits. Months later, the woman was contacted by detectives investigating the case and met them near her workplace. She told jurors the detective described videos of women, including her, found on Anokia's phone as violent and brutal. According to them, the videos were very violent, she said. They were asking me, do you know what rape is? How did you feel about Andy after this incident? Were you scared? Did you speak to anyone? I was questioning, why are you asking this? Of course I know what rape is, but it wasn't a rape. I consented to this behaviour and the activity. They suggested if I wanted to speak to any sort of psychiatrist, they could put me in touch with someone. I felt like it was a bit patronising. It wasn't, in my view, violent or brutal. They said I shouldn't be afraid, and if I made a statement, I would be part of the other girls that signed statements. And if I didn't, 
I would be on the outside. At that point, I got angry. I didn't want to sign a statement saying Andy raped me because it wasn't true. She described talking to the detectives about her conduct with Anokia for almost an hour. The woman was later spoken to by members of Anokia's legal team and decided to give evidence in his defence. Seven videos showing consensual sexual activity between the woman and Anokia were played to the jury. Before giving evidence, the woman viewed the footage. It reassured me that the videos weren't violent, she said. It made me angry at that point that they were pushing me to sign a statement of rape when clearly on those videos it wasn't. The woman met Anoki through mutual friends and saw him four times, twice to have sex. She said he was open about the fact he liked rough sex and she did not feel pressured by him. Obviously, we had slightly different style sex than I'm normally used to, but I'm happy to experiment, she told the court. Prosecutors claim a number of videos were found on Anoki's phone, which have also been played to the jury, depicting non-consensual sex relating to four other women. Anokia denies imprisoning and raping the four complainants. He also denies two charges of assault by penetration and two charges of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. The trial continues. Um, This is a letter by Peter Shark, the Diabetes UK Midlands and East Regional Head. Uh, Help for managing diabetes. We know that diabetes technology, like flash glucose monitoring, continuous glucose monitoring and insulin pumps can greatly improve people's health and quality of life. But too many people still don't have access to the technology they need to best manage their condition. Shockingly, in some areas of the UK, only 5% of people with type 1 diabetes can access FLASH, compared with more than 70% in other areas. What's more, we're seeing growing numbers of people with type 2 diabetes self-funding FLASH because the technology isn't available to them on the NHS. People with and affected by diabetes have told us that they want to see better access to diabetes technology. And we agree. But now we want to hear about your experiences. So talk to us. Uh, Our survey at smartsurvey.co.uk forward slash s. Uh, forward slash diabetes tech is now live and is open until the 1st of March. Whether your experiences have been positive or negative, whether you want to talk uh, about yourself or someone you care for, your views will shape our work in this vital area. With your help, we can ensure that everyone who could benefit from diabetes technology can access it. And here's a letter from Daniel Bingham who is Senior Pets Buyer for Wilco, a chance to win a gift card. Winter is a tough time for wild birds, but as spring approaches and the weather becomes warmer, we should expect to hear more tweeting in our gardens. One of the UK's leading home and garden retailers, Wilco, is inviting you to share your best wild bird photos in its annual competition to capture the best of our feathered friends. Are you a keen photographer? If so, Wilco invites you to share your best wild bird pictures for the chance to see your snaps in its 2021 wild bird calendar and win one of 12 Wilco gift cards worth £100. All you need is a camera, a knife for detail and a flying visit from your favourite wild birds to be in with a chance of winning. The Wilco wild bird competition runs from January the 26th until 29th of March. All photographs should be taken in a garden or outdoor setting and must have been taken by you. 
Email your entries to wildbirdcompetition at wearebrazenpr.com. Culture projects receive cash boost. Project will raise money for food banks. Three London councils have secured City Hall funding for standalone culture projects as part of the London Borough of Culture Awards. Haringey, Sutton and Hammersmith and Fulham, essentially runners-up in the bidding process, will each receive up to £200,000. Lewisham won the overall award for 2021 at the ceremony on Tuesday, February the 11th, and Croydon will be Borough of Culture in 2023. Haringey's winning project is a community feast to raise money for food banks in the local area. Hammersmith and Fulham will run a music training scheme for vulnerable young people in the borough. And Sutton will host a community laser and light show to encourage local people to engage with science. Deputy Mayor for Culture, Justine Simons, said these three cultural impact awards recognised exemplary projects that show real ambition and innovation. She said what we always ask boroughs to do when they bid is to go for the title award but also tell us what is the most exciting project they want to do in their year. That allows us to pick out these really exemplary projects and they become a moment to galvanise people around a stepping stone to bigger things. Sadiq Khan told the local democracy service that the scheme allows and shows that London is open-minded, outward-looking, pluralistic, open to people and new ideas. He said, look at the size of our country, around 65 million, yet around the world people know our singers, they know our actors, they know our plays and theatre writers, they know our artists, because we punch well above our weight. Uh, Flynn teeps up with Galdris. Rupert Flynn, the 2019 British Rally Champion for the Cadet Cup class, has teamed up with Enfield-based civil engineering company Galdris for the 2020 British Rally Championship. Flynn is competing in the junior category for drivers under 26 years old and for cars with 200 bhp. Commenting on the new partnership, Galdris's season O'Driscoll said, We have known Rupert and have watched Rupert's progress through karting and into rallying. We were very impressed with his measured approach to 2019 and to pick up the 2019 British Rally Championships Cadet Cup was a fabulous achievement. We see 2020 as a development apprenticeship year for Rupert and my advice to him is to go out there, enjoy the events, be safe, build your experience and the results will come. The 2020 season kicked off at the weekend at the Cambrian Rally in North Wales with Flynn and Galdris's car in action where he finished fifth in the junior category and 13th overall. Focus now switches to the next round of the championship which is scheduled for the weekend of March 14th and 15th in West Cork, Republic of Ireland. On Saturday the 29th of February at 7.45pm, the Dugdale Centre in Enfield Town will be putting on a play called The Man Who Left Is Not The Man Who Came Home. This is a new play by Kevin Dyer and presented by Farnham Maltings. Kevin Dyer's new play is the product of over a 100 interviews with soldiers and their wives, each a one-to-one conversation where secrets, regrets and untold details have been shared for the first time. 
The Man Who Left Is Not The Man Who Came Home is a story of resilience, of hope, of change, and what it's like when the man you love is going to war and might not come back. The 70-minute show, presented by a cast of three, including a military wife, will be followed by a facilitated collective conversation about the country we live in. The age recommendation is 14 and above. The running time is about 70 minutes. There won't be an interval. And just to say again, it's on Saturday, the 29th of February at the Dugdale Centre. And here's another one from Palmer's Green Community on Tuesday, the 25th of February at 7.30pm. Enfield Climate Community Group inaugural meeting at the King's Head, Winchmore Hill at 7.30pm. Come along for an informal meet-up to kick things off. Our aim is to provide a friendly, supportive forum and information share for people interested in reducing their carbon footprint. The Enfield Climate Community Group is an affiliate of the recently launched Enfield Climate Action Forum, ENCAF, intended to bring together individuals who believe we face a climate change crisis and wish to do something about it at an individual level, as opposed to ENCAF, which brings together organisations and groups. The group was set up by Nia Stevens, and more details are available on Facebook. And just to remind you, it's on Tuesday the 25th of Feb at 7.30pm at the King's Head in Winchmore Hill. Okay. Uh, Enfield Council will use green electricity from October. Enfield Council has confirmed its corporate buildings will use green electricity from October as part of its commitment to slash carbon emissions. The Council will also be carrying out a review of the way it buys electricity for schools and the common areas in council homes this year. The local authority has declared a climate emergency, set up a climate change task force and committed to become a carbon neutral by 2030. Purchasing green electricity for corporate buildings is estimated to displace 8,239 tonnes of carbon carbon dioxide annually out of the estimated 22,000 tonnes of carbon the Council needs to offset or reduce each year. This decision marks a significant move towards Enfield Council's carbon neutrality commitment. Enfield Council's deputy leader and the chair of the Climate Change Task Force, Councillor Ian Barnes, said, This is an important step in reducing the amount of carbon the Council generates each year, and we have acted as soon as our existing contracts enabled us to after declaring a climate emergency. We will be publishing our draft climate action plan in March so that residents and businesses can contribute towards the final strategy and enable us to reduce our carbon emissions in the quickest and most efficient way possible. Going beyond purchasing green electricity, the Council is on course to complete the energy retrofit of all 85 of its buildings, including the Grade 1 listed Forty Hall, the Civic Centre and the Dugdale Centre. Work has included installing LED lighting, solar-powered photovoltaic panels, lighting controls, insulation and optimising the performance of water, heating and cooling pumps in the buildings. This means they will have better lighting, heating and cooling optimisation and use microfuel cell units which produce no toxic emissions and improve local air quality. 
An example is the 150k kilowatt of solar panels which have been installed on the Civic Centre, providing renewable energy to the building. The Palmer's Green Community Cafe will be open on Tuesday the 25th of February between 10 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. The cafe is in Broomfield Park, off just off Alderman's Hill in Palmer's Green. And it's normally open on Wednesdays, Saturdays and Sundays and Tuesdays except during the school holidays. And it serves homemade cakes, tea, coffee and other refreshments. Do go along. And now for some sport. Penalty try all that separates sides as Enfield stay second. Ignatian's battle conditions for low-scoring Harrow success. A penalty try was all that separated Enfield Ignatians and struggling Harrow in their low-scoring London 3 Northwest encounter at the weekend. Storm Dennis played a huge part in keeping the game to a low-point count, so much so that there was no score by the break. Had it not been for a Harrow player coming in at the side of the Ignatians attacker late on, the struggling visitors may have seen the game out for a surprising nil-nil draw. But the illegal action left the referee with no choice but to award a penalty try, thus handing Ignatians a 7-0 success. Wind and rain were present throughout the entire game and halted any sort of attacking momentum, particularly in the first half for Ignatians as they played directly into what nature was throwing at them. Mistakes were common and neither side could gain any sort of continuity in their play, putting each of the defendants largely on top in what was proving to be a dismal first half for both sides. Ignatians kept their shape throughout the opening half, while Harrow's indiscipline going forward saw them undo a lot of their good approach work. The home side will have been fairly confident going into the second half, having had the best of an opening period, defined more by the weather than the quality of the play. Both teams had chances to take the lead but spurned their efforts as kicks on goal went astray. But it was Ignatians who were to have the only score in the game as they broke the deadlock going into the final quarter. Good carries forward and the strength of Ignatians forwards got them to within inches of the line but a Harrow forward tried to halt the momentum by coming in from the side leaving the referee with no choice but to award the penalty try. Blue and Goals had further chances to increase their score, but the decisive touches evaded them in the closing minutes, meaning they had to settle for the low score of 7-0. Speaking after the game, head coach Shane Manning said, On a dry day, and it's no disrespect to Harrow, we'd probably have scored four tries and wrapped up all five points. However, the conditions were horrible. It became virtually impossible to string together more than two to three phases together and the ball was like a bar of soap. In such conditions, conventional tactics became impossible. Harrow proved themselves to be a big physical team and the conditions were a great leveller. The win keeps Ignatians in second place in the division and temporarily closes the gap on Old Street Odians to four points, although the leaders do have a game in hand. Next up for the Blues and Golds is a huge game away at third place Stevenage Town, who recorded a 19-3 win away at Finsbury Park at the weekend this Saturday, while the next home game sees them go up against mid-table side Hitchin on Saturday, February 29. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of Danny, John, Ali, our special... Uh, guest speaker from Dublin, Orla and Ian on the controls it's goodbye 
Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet. Put the memory packet, memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 020-8805-6578. Coming up next, the latest news and information for the Greater London Area from InfoSound. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. <laughs>